Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Good morning and welcome to Online Church. My name is Melissa Pillman and I'm an elder in the Wrigleyville congregation and we're so glad you're here with us. This summer, we are spending our time going through the book of James in the New Testament. Some would describe this as a punchy little book. It's relatively short and it's chock full of easily memorizable one-liners, punchy little nuggets of wisdom. James, who is the author of the book, is believed to be James that is the half-brother of Jesus. He is also a leader in the early church in Jerusalem. This is really the first church, the first gathering of people who have come to see and witness Jesus as Lord and are gathering in his name. It's full of Messianic Jews, which means faithful Jewish people who believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the promised Messiah of God. So this fledgling community was being very much persecuted by people around them, people of greater influence with more authority, wealth, and power. And James is addressing these people, these Messianic Jews, as a community, as they're working to live out their faith, have their faith translate into their lives. He is sharing his wisdom with them. For some people, I hear that this book, when you read through it, feels like drinking from a fire hose, so much coming at you quickly at once. For others, I've heard them say, this is my favorite book, just give it to me straight. What do I need to do or change in my life? Whichever camp you're in, I think if we back up, we can really see several themes really important to James. But overall, beyond these themes, what I hear when I hear the words of James is a longing for him to see a community actually shaped by their faith, the way they live their lives. Two things to point out here, a community. The tense, the verb tense that James uses, I read this, somebody smarter than me understood this and pointed it out to me, but it's about a group. It's not talking to an individual. He's using a tense of verb that's calling the collective you as a community. It's relational ethics that he's talking about, how to treat others. He's calling a community, a community to be actually shaped by their faith. Faith in action, actually getting changed lives, not just agreeing in your mind to the faith you proclaim, but having your lives be changed by the faith that you proclaim. So what faith is James referring to when I say shaped by faith? The faith that James is leaning on is, again, a Messianic Jew. He's a faithful Jewish person, and we see the words of James deeply rooted in the fullness of the Holy Scriptures. He is a faithful Jew who believes that Jesus is Messiah. So we see his words sounding a lot like um, the book of Proverbs with punchy little one-liners, nuggets of wisdom. We see that influence of the book of Proverbs on James. We also see that this faith in action that James calls us to again and again is deeply rooted in the words of the Torah, the, the Old Testament first books of the law that God gave his people. Also, that same law, we might recall, as being summarized by the words of Jesus in Matthew 22, when, a, when an expert on the Torah, the religious law, tried to trip up Jesus and said, so what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophet are based on these two commandments. So that is reflecting the Jewish heritage. All of the Torah instruction is summarized in this, what the Jews would call the Shema, which would be something they would recite in Deuteronomy, uh, based in Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And they would repeat that uh, to get it deep in their heart. And then also love your neighbor as yourself, based in Leviticus 19.18. And we see Jesus saying again, all the words of the prophets are calling people back to this. So all the Old Testament scriptures are calling the people of God to be marked by this righteous living, so they reflect God. We also see throughout James how the words of Jesus, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, are being um, reiterated and reflected in the book of James. Actually, if you want to see this, the Bible Project does a wonderful short summary on the book of James. I highly recommend that you uh, watch it. And we see how the words of the Sermon of the Mount in Jesus are coming out as how do we do this loving God and loving others? How is this faith in action actually lived out. So we see all of the book of James being drenched in the words of scripture, the word of God. To James, this is the liberating word, the words and the way of true life. Scott McKnight in his commentary on James says this as a reminder, the themes of James are not simply advice. The substance of these themes Themes are life and death, and James's intent in using them is to draw his readers into the world that leads to life and away from the world that leads to death. So let's start with our passage today. We're going to focus on verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 19 to 27, but first let me take a peek one verse back to point something out. In verse 18, James writes, he, God, chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. So let's look here for a second. I see these two things tied for James. He's talking about this word, this true word, giving us life, giving birth, giving life to us. That is the liberating word. And he also is rooted in this true identity. What's the true identity for James? The Genesis 1 identity that men and women have is being created in the very image of God. That's our identity. Prized possession, the image of God. So here we have true word and true identity as we start into the passage that we're going to read for this morning. Starting in verse 19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. So let's start in this first part, remembering our context. These are persecuted people in their, in their, in their uh, community. Apparently, according to what James is writing here, we see that some are tempted from this persecution to lash out in anger. Uh, the suggestion here would be maybe violence, certainly aggression, disruptive anger. Now, hear this. Anger, the feeling, the emotion of anger in and of itself is not sinful at all. There is absolutely such thing as righteous anger. 
as we see an injustice or experience something that is against the will of God, of course there's going to be the feeling of anger. But as Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesians, 426. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Paul doesn't say, don't get angry. That's bad. No, when you're angry, don't sin. Choose how you're going to act when anger happens. So back to James in verse 20 here, he's saying, human anger does not produce the righteousness, also translated as justice. It does not produce the justice that God desires. So violent, aggressive retaliation by humans isn't how God longs to invoke God's justice. He goes on to say, get rid of all filth. So what he seems to be exhorting the listeners to is to say, rather than anger and retaliation, instead in justice and peace and love, the way of Jesus, still speak truth. You don't have to back down or be silent, but in your anger, do not sin, not to respond with acts of violence or aggression. Why is this so important to James? Remember his concern, of course, is for the community as a whole to act in this way. And here's what I think. We're talking about the first church, the first gathering of people, gathering in the name of Jesus, gathering in his name. What are they reflecting to the world around them? Who do they look like? Who do they reflect? How can the world know the love of Jesus if the church gathering in his name looks like a bunch of aggressive hotheads? That's not reflecting Jesus well. And I think it still is a good question for us today. Who does the world encounter when they encounter church? It's pretty compelling to remember that Faith moving us into action matters. If we're not shaped by the life-giving word of God, we probably look instead a lot like the narrative of the dominant culture. And that dominant culture narrative is not allowing our world to thrive. It's not working. This is the life or death that James is talking about when he responds to the life-giving word of God. This is why it is life or death. Let's continue now reading our passage today. I'm picking back up in verse 22. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for the orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. I'm gonna move a little backwards here for a minute starting with this last statement. Again, pure and genuine religion in, is love and action. Here he's talking about towards widows and orphans specifically, but the concept is this. In a world that seeks self-preservation, self-advancement, and self-satisfaction, be a people who spend themselves for the sake of others, especially those from whom you can get nothing in return. That's love and action, to serve, to pour out, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to honor and lift up others, show and demonstrate love in action. 
It's the same call that God has been giving God's people throughout all of Scripture. Remember in the Torah law, this widows and orphans specifically come from passages in Exodus and Deuteronomy. Take care of the community. And also throughout all of the prophets we see this, but specifically I will read now um, Isaiah 117 and a million other places calling people to justice, but this one in particular, learn to do right, seek justice. See how that's an action, that's an active call. Defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. And of course then in the life of Jesus, in a parable that I mentioned just recently another time, but when he was speaking about a king coming back and saying, whatever you did for the least of these, you did that directly for me. That's the heart of God. And the metaphor that James uses here, let's talk about that for a minute, this mirror. Remember, we have the true word of God and we know our true identity as image bearers, to reflect the image of God. So James uses this imagery of a mirror and says, the mirror is the true word, right? If you look at the word and it doesn't shape you, you're like somebody who looks at their face in a mirror and then walks away and forgets what you even look like. Years ago, our family got a little cabin in the woods, way in the middle of nowhere uh, in Indiana. When we first got there, there wasn't a mirror in the place. And I went for probably three or four days without seeing my reflection. That's weird now, right? Between selfies and washing our hands for a full 20 seconds a million times a day and looking in the mirror, even passing shop windows and you see people kind of seeing their reflection and straightening up. We see our reflection all the time, but in this moment, I had gone days without seeing my own reflection, and we went to Walmart, and when I was washing my hands, I looked up, and I was a mess. I looked ridiculous. My hair was crazy frizzy. I had sleepers in my eyes. Honestly, I needed to pluck my eyebrows, but I couldn't do that in the moment, but I rinsed off my face and cleaned up and redid my ponytail and tried to write this image that was so far off. If I had looked at that reflection and just said, whoa, that's bad, and walked away, who would do that? Who would look into a mirror and see broccoli in your teeth and just say, oh, whatever. You're going to do something about it, right? That's what James is talking about. He's saying these words in Scripture, God's heart for our thriving, loving God and loving others, justice on behalf of others, all of this is our true mirror to reflect the image that we are supposed to reflect in the world around us, the image of God's beloved people, the true word to show our true identity. And if you see something off, do you walk away? Like leave broccoli in your teeth and do nothing? If you don't respond, let the word of God shape you actively. You are only fooling yourself, James says. That stopped me up. When I stopped to think about that, only fooling myself, I thought of an honest truth. If I want to deceive myself, I am the easiest person for me to convince of my own self-deception. Think about a couple, I tried to think of a couple examples that might uh, make sense of this, what I'm trying to say. One might say, it's okay if I don't have that hard conversation. I just don't want to, so I'm gonna just push that down, but then every time you see the person, you get that little like angst in you because you never resolved it. 
Or maybe you say, it's okay that I have that bitterness if as long as I just don't show it outwardly, it doesn't make a difference. It's not gonna matter if that anger brews. Or we might say, I had a right to hit below the belt in the words I spoke back to him. He deserved it. I had a right. Aren't we the easiest person to convince of these things? Maybe everyone loses their temper at their kids. It's no big deal if I scream and cuss at them. That doesn't matter. Everyone does it. It's no big deal. Or we say, no, 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 no. It's not really lust. It's not really greed. It's not really idolatry, whatever we're looking at. It's not that bad. It's something else, not as serious as that. Or those friends are different. It's okay that I act really differently with them than I do around my church friends because, well, it's just a different thing. If we look at the true word and we see something off in our lives from our true identity and we do nothing about it and we aren't honest with ourselves, we are the ones who are fooling ourselves. And it's tricky because we are easy to self-deceive. Because when we do that and we look away and forget our true image, we instead probably look and find an image that culture is selling us. The image is culture is selling us on what really matters, on what makes us uh, have value or not. The different images that the world is trying to say where our worth is rooted and we end up living a distorted version of our full self, our full, free self. That is what James is getting at. And remember, he says this, but if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, that liberating word, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. One commentator clarified this for me. It's not saying there's an exchange. If you do the action, then God will bless you. You don't get blessed because you did it. It's that you will be more like blessed in the doing of it, in the being shaped into the image by the liberating law. Remember just in our last series in Galatians 5, I'll grab from verse 13 and 14. Paul writes this, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So again, this is a law of freedom that's to shape a community for one another and a picture of a full thriving community. And as you're in that, you're thriving as well with your brothers and sisters in Christ, just reflecting your true identity being marked by honor, renewal, and freedom because of Jesus, shaped to look like Jesus. So the world can see when it looks at church, the reflection of our loving God. That's who we're reflecting to the world around us in our life together, in how we serve our neighbor without expecting something back, as we advocate for justice, as we use our resources and our time, our money, etc. And as we live with a joy that comes from knowing our loving God and knowing that we are loved and bear God's very image. And it is a lifelong journey. It's, it's not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing thing to get the broccoli out of our teeth and the sleepers out of our eyes. All that junk. But that's the good news. The Spirit is doing this work bit by bit. 2 Corinthians 3.18, it's the Spirit doing the shaping, producing the fruit like the last series, and also shaping us by one degree of glory to another to reflect the very image of our Lord. So let us listen to James. 
Let us persevere in being shaped in action, in responding to the words of Scripture, the words of the liberating word, not fooling ourselves, but boldly allowing ourselves to be shaped by the liberating word of God. And I have one more thought before we close, and that is that when it comes to self-deceiving ourselves, fooling ourselves, like I said, we can be the easiest one to buy our own fooling. And so that reminds us the importance of being not only in the word, but in community, being honest with one another. And that's been hard in this season, but I urge all of us to be in community, to be in some ways connecting with other believers who also know the word, who can call us to the fullest version of ourselves, not only for our own good, but for the world around us that desperately needs to see the image of the love of God when they look at the church. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the liberation you designed it to bring to all of us. Help us to be willing to be shaped by your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for the example and the, um, and the, the open door to Holy Spirit living. Because of you, we get to be united in this ongoing work of liberating freedom so that we can reflect you well to a world who is hungry for the love you've given us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.